Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast Series. My name is Carl Vradenberg. And my name is Paige Heron. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life and embrace an enlightened, healthy, and prosperous lifestyle. This is episode 116, and today we are joined by returning guest Mandy Kloppers. Welcome back to the Life Habits Podcast, Mandy. Hi, Paige and Carl. Uh, Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this podcast and just sharing ideas and hopefully inspiring the listeners as well. So regular listeners of the podcast know Mandy really well because she's been on seven times during the last 16 years that the podcast has been going. And in fact, listeners on Facebook asked specifically to have Mandy return on our version 2.0 of the podcast that I'm now doing with co-host Paige Heron. So for new listeners, Mandy is a psychologist and cognitive behavioral therapist living in the UK. It's really great to finally meet you, Mandy, after listening to the previous episodes and hearing all the wonderful things Carl has told me about you. So let's get started. Could you please share the quotes that you've prepared? Yeah, sure, Paige. I chose a few. The first one is by somebody called Josh Ship, and it says, you either get bitter or you get better. It's that simple. You either take what has been dealt to you and allow it to make you a better person, or you allow it to tear you down. The choice does not belong to fate. It belongs to you. I particularly like the quote by Josh Ship because it just focuses on how it's important to kind of stay on top of negative thoughts and when life gets you down, but we'll be talking a bit more about that later on. Second quote that I love is by Karen Salmonson, and this quote is, the truth is we're all a little bit broken. We must learn to love the broken pieces of ourselves, be gentle and empathetic with ourselves and others. The reason I love this quote is because sometimes we get very black and white in our thinking about our bodies if they don't work for us. But this quote is to remind yourself that your body is still precious, even if sometimes it lets you down, and that we need to be kind to our bodies because I think that positive energy is also good for our health rather than negative thoughts, which can be bad for our health. I mean, I I personally believe that that negative energy is not good for us. And then the last one is by Carmen Ambrosio. If opening your eyes or getting out of bed or holding a spoon or combing your hair is the daunting Mount Everest you climb today, that is okay. And again, just putting illness in context that for all of us, we are on different paths, we have, we're pacing ourselves differently. And that whatever is, is, is your Mount Everest, whatever is hard for you to do, even if that's just holding a spoon that day and you manage it, then a big pat on the back for that. I, I just think that's quite inspiring. You know, I love, love, love those quotes. And knowing you, I can see that you're a living embodiment of them. Most regular listeners of this podcast have heard you giving amazing advice on many, many different topics. But other than I think one of the episodes we recorded during the pandemic, you've not really mentioned any of the physical or medical challenges you've experienced throughout your life and still do. This episode will be all about learning from your various life experiences of dealing with adversity and how to cope with them. It'll also give you, the listener, the opportunity to empathize with Mandy's personally and reinforce the notion that you never know what someone else is going through. Like when you think about that Mandy was going through a lot of the things you're going to hear about now 
at the times that we recorded those previous episodes. She focused on you, she focused on advice, and yet she was going through a lot of these things you're going to hear about. So Mandy, it'd be great if you could get us started by giving us an idea of some of the challenges that you've gone through and are in fact still going through. Yes, sure. It is interesting actually because recently when I went to a doctor, they presented me with a list of my diagnoses and it was quite overwhelming. There must have been about 20 lines and I was like, alrighty then, that was quite a surprise. And the doctor actually said, how are you still alive? But in a kind of a nice way with a smile. <laughs> it's at times like that that it hits me um, that, gosh, you know, my body is coping with quite a lot. I was born with cystic fibrosis. It's a genetic condition, so you're born with it. And it affects your lungs and your pancreas mostly, but some people have digestive issues and liver issues as well. It depends on the genetic mutation. I won't get into too much detail about that. But it's a lifelong illness, and many people die very young from this illness, although amazingly, there's been some fabulous advances in medication, which I'm now on for about two years. And although I still have a lot of side effects and damage from previous years, uh, I am a little bit better now, which is just a miracle, really. So miracles do happen. That's one thing to keep in mind. But it's also just about coping with each day. Um, I'll, I'll just go through the, the illnesses. So cystic fibrosis runs in my family. My mother was born with it as well, which is quite unusual. And my uncle had cystic fibrosis and diabetes as well, because they're often linked. And my uncle passed away when he was 23. And my mum sadly passed away in 2010 at the age of 50. So, yeah, it's, I've kind of always placed myself on her. And clearly this medication has changed that completely for me. I've also got diabetes, which came along later in life. But I kind of manage that with medication now. I take a tablet, so it's type 2 diabetes. But that also has changed the way I eat and how my body responds to things. When I was 17, I had a lump in the, my left leg inside the bone. And it was about a golf ball size when I finally went to see the doctor. And they said I had something called a giant cell tumor, which is apparently very rare and quite common around the age of 17. So they actually just took part of my bone out because they can sometimes regrow. And it was benign, thankfully. But that was my first sort of foray into health issues and medical profession and hospitals in terms of surgery, although all my life I've been in hospitals. So I was very young. My mother and I would go regularly to get tablets and check on us because we, we would always get chest infections from the cystic fibrosis. Cystic fibrosis means that your body produces too much mucus and your body can't get rid of it. There's too much salt in the chloride channels, something between the cells. So it can make it very difficult to breathe. You're regularly out of breath gasping for air. It's, it's quite a, a tough disease to live with. And then I think one of the big things that happened to me again was when I was age 26, I started throwing up. I thought, oh, I've eaten something bad. And it turned out to be another rare condition called thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, which is a very rare blood disorder. The short version of that is TTP. And basically, they think now, they didn't know at the time, they think it's an autoimmune disease that attacks your platelets and I was incredibly ill. They had to do a plasma transfer, which didn't work, and I ended up having seizures. And then I got pneumonia because my lungs, obviously, the CF wasn't coping. I was quite weak. So I ended up with pneumonia. And then one of the drugs they gave me made my kidneys stop working. So I had multiple organ failure, lost all my hair. I was in intensive care for six weeks in an induced coma. Nearly lost my life that time around, but managed to pull through. My respiratory doctor found 
a company in the States that were willing to send some medication that wasn't registered or approved in, in South Africa at the time. So that was what saved my life, really. I had a tracheotomy as well, so I was in a bit of a poor state, but I'm still here to tell the tale, although I don't remember much about it. And then I've also got primary sclerosing cholangitis, which is a condition that affects your bile ducts and the liver. And that's something that I just kind of work on and work around. It doesn't create too many problems for me, thankfully, but I have been told that it does shorten your lifespan. I got colon cancer five years ago, managed to get through that. It was early stages. Because I have CF, I can catch bugs really easily, especially if I go into marshy forests or there's a lot of mud and wet surroundings. I've got a rare bacteria called Mycobacterium abscessus. I was hospitalized for a month for that on very strong, almost like chemo type drugs. And then finally, because this is going to go on forever <laughs> if I don't hurry up, uh, <laughs> I've recently been diagnosed with just inflammation of the colon. I've been told I'm still very high risk for colon cancer. So I have to have colonoscopies once a year um, as opposed to three times a year. I've also got IBS and colitis, which is just inflammation and general digestive disorders. So that's my lot. But here I am. My body's still keeping me going so far. Touch, touch wood. That is a whole lot of challenges for your entire life. And to some degree, I, I can empathize. I have multiple physical and medical challenges throughout most of my life as well. And I know coping mentally with these challenges is extremely difficult. Can you share with us how you cope with these challenges and how you're able to stay positive? Well, one thing I would say is that I think having issues since I was very young has kind of on some levels, I wouldn't say it's desensitized me, but it's made me more aware that this is just part of my life and it's kind of been normalized a little bit, which might be different to some of your, re your listeners if they are just recently starting to struggle with some sort of health issue. But the principles are the same. And that is that it's not, it's never a good idea to compare yourself to what you were before the illness. You know, I've sometimes said, oh, if I didn't have cystic fibrosis, I'd be able to do this or I'd be able to do that. And I did that a lot in the beginning. I was embarrassed about it. I didn't talk about it. I felt inadequate. I felt like healthy people were better and I was abnormal. Um, and those labels just clearly didn't help me, just made me feel very negative and inadequate. I think it's really important to, to focus on what is going well with your body and how your body is managing to keep you alive and the things that it's doing for you. I mean, I, when I started to shift my thinking, we call it looking for alternatives in cognitive behavioral therapy. I started to say to myself, look at my amazing body. It's had all of these things thrown at it and it still gets me around. You know, I managed to get my chores done every day, even if it's a bit slower than normal. It's produced a lovely sun for me. And that was after I had the tracheotomy and the blood disorder. So I just, you know, in some ways I'm in awe of my little body because it's, uh, you know, I sometimes go, good little pancreas, good little liver. People think I'm mad, but <laughs> it's just, they you know, it, it keeps going no matter what gets thrown. And it. it's like, all right, we'll just kind of take this one on and, and keep going. So I do think mindset is very important. And it's not what happens to you, but what you think and do about it that matters. So I think it's okay to have some days where you feel really sorry for yourself and you just think, oh, I'm fed up. I think that's part of the healing process. But give yourself a time limit and then focus on what you can control. And I think really importantly is it's important to have an attitude of gratitude which I know sounds a bit cliched, but 
it's an instant boost for me when I think, well, I can still walk to my car or I can still talk to somebody on the phone. My memory's still great, so I can have great memories. Just focus on what your body is doing for you rather than what you can't do because that's really disempowering. I also pace myself, so I'm a little bit better since I've been on the medication, but I can't do too many things all in one go. So I'll have to like vacuum the house and I have to sit down for a bit, have a cup of tea. And instead of getting frustrated with that, I've, I think acceptance is quite important in that this is where I am right now. It's okay. You know, think about the fact that, you know, rest is good for us anyway. I think it's when we resist what is that we get really distressed. So it's about finding healthy ways to just accept where you are right now, what you can still do. I think that that is really important. Part of the issue for me is that my childhood was not the greatest childhood in some ways, apart from the health issues. But my mother never really made a big fuss of me. She was like, get on with it, shut up, do what you, you know, do your thing. And I guess because she had health issues too, she was coping with that and being a single mother. But I think that's helped me in some ways because I don't catastrophize about my health. I kind of, I mean, even when like COVID came along, I was thinking to myself, okay, well, COVID, I'll get through this. I was not blasé, but I didn't overthink it and I didn't get completely stressed out about what might happen. I think when you start going, what if, you can take yourself down some dangerous paths that can scare you unnecessarily. And our brains are known for sending us a lot of false alarms trying to keep us safe. So worry is not good, but problem solving is. So try not to sit and just ruminate, which can be difficult when you're ill because you have more time on your hands sometimes if you're in bed or you're resting. But try not to catastrophize and just deal with the facts and the evidence if you can. And problem solving is great because that empowers you. I definitely try not to compare myself to others in terms of like I used to, they're healthy, I'm not or they can do this and I can't. I just focus on what I can and can't do. So almost a little bit of a bubble in a way to keep yourself safe for some things because we've all got our different weaknesses and strengths, physically and mentally. I also use mindfulness and watch what I focus on because I'm convinced that what you focus on determines your quality of life. So if you keep focusing on what you can't do and what might happen to you, those negative thoughts are just going to it's a negative mental filter that we call in CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is, is really just going to bring your mood down and make you fearful and put your brain into threat mode where you're in fight, flight or freeze mode. So it's about kind of lowering that threat mode and just focusing what is good in life, like I said before, attitude of gratitude. Our thoughts are so powerful. I mean, there was a story a while back that I, I, I haven't verified, but I heard about it, that he was incorrectly diagnosed with cancer. And he died six months later. And during his autopsy, they found that there was no cancer. So just being told that he had cancer had made him think, I'm sick, I'm ill. And he died. And I've heard of other stories like that. And it is quite shocking and just reminds you of the power of our thoughts. And it's not always easy to stop the thoughts or the negative thoughts, but just catch yourself and go, oh, there I go again. I'm thinking negatively. I'm limiting myself unnecessarily. And try and reframe that thought into something more positive, like, well, today I'm really tired, but tomorrow might be a better day and I can still get up and make myself a cup of coffee or I've got a wonderful friend here that's helping me, haven't I got some great friends in life? It's always about reframing, reframing. And an important question I always ask myself is, how can I think about the situation that will make me feel less stressed or less anxious? So if you can just ask yourself that, is there a different way to look at this? There must, there's always different ways to look at everything. So don't always take the worst case scenario, like I said, catastrophizing and 
try and remember that your thoughts and what you tell yourself are going to massively influence your, your day. Twist it around when it's negative, which is what I'm talking about, the reframing. And it's been great that I've been able to look at my body in a different way now and think about the fact that it actually gave me a son. He was premature. It was a high-risk pregnancy, but I got through it. And my body did that after I nearly passed away uh, when I was 26. So you just never know what your bodies are capable of, I guess. And I deal with a lot of clients in my day-to-day work who have health anxiety. And for them, it's focusing less on the illness and the what-ifs and looking for other ways to feel empowered. Examples that I can think of is that, you know, they say that optimists are better at looking at the situation than pessimists. They will look at, if something good happens to them, they'll be thinking, yeah, I had something to do with that. And if something bad happens, they'll be thinking, oh, that was bad luck. Whereas pessimists, if something good happens, they'll say, well, that was that was just luck. And if something bad happens, they'll blame themselves. So really watch what you're telling yourself. This internal dialogue is so important every day. And the negative thoughts will come. But think of your thoughts as passengers on a bus. They're going to be at you all the time. You can't kick them off your bus. But you have to think, I need to drive my bus from depot A to depot B. And if I listen to all the passengers, so known as your your constant thoughts that are based on fears and insecurities, you're never going to drive the bus. So if you're driving the buses, just getting out of bed a bit earlier, and your thoughts are going, well, why would you, why should you do that? You should, you know, what if this happens? Try to just go there. They go again, but I'm going to get on the bus driver's seat, and I'm going to carry on in life. And it's action that can sometimes overtake all those negative thoughts and those irksome passengers that are harassing you every day about what you can't do or why life isn't good for you. One thing that I help, going back to my my clients with health anxiety, a lot of them do things that aren't helpful. And we call them safety behaviors that, to try and feel in control. And that's things like Dr. Google, always checking symptoms on, on Google, which it can be very, very dangerous because you can buy into that, then label yourself, oh, I've got brain cancer, and then it just gets worse. So be very careful about Dr. Google. Excessive body checking is another safety behavior, but you're just maintaining the anxiety by constantly checking in on your body and constantly being aware of what's new, where's the new lump, what's this, you know, just be very careful about focusing so much on your illness. Excessive visits to the doctor is another one that I find with my health clients, health anxiety clients. They won't believe one doctor, so they'll go and get a second opinion or a third opinion. And again, it's just keeping that anxiety, it's maintaining it and helping it to grow. And that's why I say, distract yourself, go, there I go again, I've got one, you know, just keep focusing on the here and now and what you can still do. It's really important to try and keep on top of those negative thoughts that can just squash you down. So I hope I hope some of this has, has made some kind of, it, it will help your your listeners in terms of what they can do to alleviate some of their symptoms and their their stress. And I know how difficult it can be when you have health issues because Adults, people in general, we, we are intolerant of uncertainty. Uncertainty is fearful, makes us fearful. But unfortunately, we can't have certainty in life, so we've got to make friends with uncertainty. However you do that, you know, by just telling yourself regularly, this is one of my favorite sayings, is that I will cross that bridge when I get there, rather than what if, what if, what if, because it's a hypothetical worry, right? If it's something that's in the future, you can't, you can't action it right now. A real worry is something happening right now that you need to go to the doctor for, and that's fine, then you can action it. But 
try to just stay in the moment, distract yourself if you're overthinking things, do a puzzle, phone a friend, watch something funny on TV, put some music on. That's one of my favorites. But there are many ways to manage the thoughts and to still rejoice in the things your body can do. Our bodies are amazing. I really resonate with a lot of what you were saying about it's really easy to look at what your body can't do and the things you can't do and get stuck in that. And I'm learning to, you know, reframe my thinking, mindfulness and being in the moment, the moments all you have and, and really trying not to catastrophize, which is easy when you have all these health issues that keep going and changing and getting worse. And when you explain it all, it's so cohesive and it makes sense. But practically, that has to take time and space to be able to develop that. So with regards to taking that time to develop these skills, how how long does that take? I know everybody is different, but how long do you have to keep really focusing on it before it starts to become a habit and something more natural that you're doing? Like they say, repetition is key and we're all a work in progress. So unfortunately, you'll never arrive at a place where you're suddenly just in blissful utopia. But they say the research shows that it takes about 30 days or about a month or so of repetition to start to to kind of, so what happens is if you start thinking in different ways and you catch yourself, you go, oh, there I go again, I'm catastrophizing or I'm mind reading or I'm worrying about things that I'm predicting the future, things that I can't control, just gently pull your focus back to something else or, you know, do a puzzle or phone a friend or reframe the message and then do something else. And I think those neural pathways, the more you use them, the more you repeat those behaviors, the more those neural pathways get laid down and become more automatic. So I often say to clients, it's like think of a grass, a, a grassy field and what I'm asking them to do. It's not their normal way of stopping and reframing and then trying to distract yourself. But think of it as that you've, you've found a little footpath across a big grassy field and you've got your little footpath, which is what you do, whether you do Dr. Google or you constantly check your body or you focus on the illness all the time and compare yourself to what you could do and now what you can't do. So what I'm saying now is I'm going to ask you to go on a different footpath, which is through the, the tall grass at this stage. It's really hard in the beginning because you don't have a footpath. And you're like, oh, gee, I don't know where I'm going and all this grass. <laughs> it's, it's quite stressful and, it's, and it, it can be difficult, but you've just got to hang in there and be persistent. And eventually you'll have a new pathway and the other one will grow up and the grass will grow up around that and it'll become easier. But yeah, I would say it probably takes at least 30 days. And then, like I say, you don't, unfortunately, I wish I could say you would arrive at this place of just feeling fabulous about everything. But you do find that, that you become better at looking at the things that are good, distracting yourself when you realize that it's a hypothetical worry or something you can't do anything about right now. And like I would say, a big, a big emphasis is on acceptance of letting go of things that you can't control. And acceptance takes time. I think you go through stages of maybe grieving what you had feeling angry, that's all normal and part of the healing process. So be kind to yourself. Don't go, oh, why can't I get over this? Why can't I? Just be, self-compassion is, is key. Acceptance and self-compassion because our bodies need to feel, that's going to sound a bit weird, but the, the acceptance and, and the, that we have positive regard for our bodies. 
I think that's really important. And apparently there's MRI studies that show that even when we criticize ourselves, we light up the threat part of our brains. So imagine if you're going, I hate my body and why isn't it working for me? You're putting your body into threat mode. And I don't want to make people anxious about that because we all, I think like that still. I go, oh, you know, I get bad days and good days. But it's also about just thanking your body and going, you know, it, it's doing it's doing what it can, even if it's really serious and you can't walk or you can't see or you've got some, you know, some, some real ex- extreme disorder. There's always going to be other ways to think about it. And so hang on to those alternative ways of looking at things, focusing what you can control and distracting yourself with other things when you there's nothing else you can do. But gratitude and loving your body, and I know that's hard, but that is just accepting your body and, and loving it for what it can do for you. You know, I I love listening to you, Mandy, and we've done this some seven times and other times, even outside of podcast episodes as well. And we have a similar educational background, and I also have a, a thought on a regular basis of how do I apply what I learned to day-to-day life. And you just gave us a dissertation on how to basically use everything that you learned professionally and applying it to your own life, you know, as well. I would love it if you would write a book because (laughs) we end up having all these conversations and like, but I'm convinced that there would be so much that people could learn from you that you could fill the pages of a book because we're generally limited in time we can spend here today. Have you given that any thought? Yeah, I guess I have more on trauma to do with your childhood and how that affects you. And that could also affect your health, actually. You know, if you've observed your, your, your parents being hypochondriacs, you may end up being one that worries excessively about your health. And yeah, uh, the health side of things, you know, that might be something I can incorporate. I'm always thinking ahead and always thinking of new ways to help others. That is something that keeps me going in life is, is helping other people. It gives me meaning and purpose. So. I shall definitely be thinking about that. And maybe I can come on again one day with you and Paige. That'd be great. We would love to have you back. And I I think there is something so powerful about hearing from someone who's faced so many challenges and are incorporating these skills and is having success with it rather than, you know, just hearing someone talking about it and they're not directly showing you how it's working in their life, how they're using it. So it's very powerful to hear you speak about it. Thank you, Paige. Uh, The the one thing I did want to say as well is that, you know, I've had to deal with the medical profession for many, many years, and sometimes they can be a little bit blunt in how they deliver things. So I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to your doctors, but just sometimes keep in mind that they don't always get things right, that I was told I'd never be able to have children. I was also told I'd be dead by the age of about 30. Still here. So uh, I'm not saying that you should ignore your doctor's advice at all, but just remember they're not gods. They don't know everything. So, you know, just listen to your body and then tune into the body because I think your body has a lot to tell you. So while we wait for you to write, the rest of your book that we're all waiting for. And I'm sure everybody listening is, uh, is super interested in that as well. But while we don't have your book yet, do you have any other recommendations of books that might be helpful to people to go deeper in what we've been talking about here? Yes, Carl, when it comes to books, I think that uh, reading is a, is a great hobby or 
pastime. And uh, one of the best books that I've read was one that I picked up when I was 17, one of my first self-help books ever. And it was by a wonderful lady called Louise Hay. And it was called You Can Heal Your Life. And it's an old book, but it just, it talks a lot about, you know, the power of the mind and your thoughts. And I think that's a great one to start with. It's very inspiring. I think she's also spoken about having cancer and how she dealt with that. So that Louise Hay is also very much into mental health and health. So she's a good one to look out for. She's written quite a few books. There's another one that I love, which is all about your your life is made up from what you focus on and what you want to believe about the world. So be very careful about what you choose to focus on. You know, just dismiss some of the thoughts that don't work for you. Think of thoughts as leaves on a river and they're going past and you pick that leaf, leaf up and start looking at the veins and the colors. It takes up all of your focus, right? So just put it back in the, in the river or the stream and let it go if it's not useful because you can't stop the thoughts. And the book is called Stop Thinking, Start Living by Richard Carlson. And it's a fabulous book and it's an old one, but I recommend it all the time. And my final one is, it's just got such a great meaning in it. It's Man's Search for Meaning by the Austrian psychiatrist Viktor Frankl. He was in a concentration camp and he said that everything was taken away from him. He was stripped naked, all his belongings were taken, he lost his family, he had nothing. But he said he's still in that austere environment, still had his thoughts and his memories and he could still enjoy a laugh with another prisoner. They couldn't take that away. And again, it's about that inner strength that we can have and working on that inner foundation of, of safety for yourself rather than believing everything has to be a certain way to be safe. You can have everything taken away, but if you still focus on the little things that give you strength, like the people in your life or your happy memories or something that made you laugh or small thing like me seeing a, I love hummingbirds and this little hummingbird was buzzing around near me. I'd had a really bad day and I think I'd had a bad day with my health or bad diagnosis. And in just in those few brief moments, I was really happy. And then it kind of fleeted away. And, but there's, and I know it's difficult to do, but yeah, your brain and your will send you lots of worrying thoughts to try and keep you safe. But just remember a lot of them are false alarms and little small things can still bring a lot of pleasure. The power of the mind is a amazing thing. And you've shared so many wonderful things with us, especially for when you are yourself dealing with challenges in life. But what advice would you give a friend or a loved one who has somebody in their life that's having medical challenges, whether they're, you know, the same as yours or they're different, but they're really having significant challenges? I would say to someone who's helping a loved one, to be gentle with them and I think it's really hard if you're not the one going through the problem. I have a client who has been diagnosed with Parkinson's and her family are always sort of saying well do this or do that and almost putting an added pressure on her and I think you have to go with their pace and try to hold back on the judgments too much and pushing them when they're not ready. So really try and figure out what their pace is and be supportive and tell them that you're there. And if they, they need to talk to you or you need to drive them somewhere, you'll be there. I think just that can be enough in terms of safety. And, you know, the thing is we can't fix things sometimes. So we just have to be there and love that person, make them a cup of tea and 
get them a blanket, find things to laugh about with them and distract them maybe from their life. That's all we can do. And I know that sounds quite limiting, but just being there sometimes for somebody and distracting them, it can bring them those moments of fleeting happiness. The skills and the habits that you've been talking about to us today are valuable whether you are living with health issues or you're not. And I'm sure these are things that you teach as a psychologist and a therapist. How can these be applicable for someone who isn't facing significant challenges or facing a different kind of challenge, or they just want to live a more positive and fulfilling life? I suppose it would go back to what we spoke about before about the errors in thinking that we all have around life where we catastrophize and we think the worst case scenario or we mind read and we think that somebody has done something and we know what they're thinking oh they don't like me because they didn't say hello this morning it may not be that it may just be that they're having a bad day themselves so a lot of it is about being careful of our errors in thinking, which are, I'll, I'll list a few of them, catastrophizing, mind reading, what we think, making assumptions about what other people are thinking, predicting the future, being very black and white about life. I'm healthy or I'm not healthy. I'm a good person or I'm a bad person. I'm a success or I'm a failure. Life is never that black and white. And I think one of the things that I use daily, it's, I, I use the words H-E-A-F. H is for if I have sticky, I call them sticky negative thoughts that I, I'm struggling to get rid of because that still happens. I ask myself, H, is it helpful for me to be thinking that I can't do anything or that I'm useless or that uh, nobody likes me or whatever the thought is? No, it's just going to make me miserable. So that sometimes just that can sort of stop the train of thought and go, well, why am I thinking this? Because this isn't helping me. Let's think about something else or distract myself. E is for evidence. Where is the evidence that what I'm thinking is true? That you know, I'm dying. Well, I guess we all, we're all going to the same place at the end, but dying right now or the catastrophizing, it, where's the evidence of, of this or the mind reading? Where's the evidence that somebody doesn't like me unless they've said it to my face? Could be something else. So then go back to the question, how else can I look at this that makes me feel less upset or less worried? And then A is for alternatives, which I use a lot of in, the, in terms of how else can I look at this? There's always different ways to look at life, but our, um, our brains catastrophize. Our brains use these errors in thinking. They're based on our fears and our insecurities. Emotional reasoning is another one, or making mountains out of molehills, overgeneralizing. They're all self-criticism. They're all errors in thinking. They're not based on evidence. They're based on our fears and our insecurities. And the last one is, is F for friend. What would you say to a friend who was in that position? Because often quite hard on ourselves, but you wouldn't say to a friend, well, yeah, you're useless. You may as well give up. You'd say to them, don't, don't think like that. You know, tomorrow might be a better day. You need to just maybe sleep on it. Or maybe it's just, you know, I, one thing I say to help me with distress, to tolerate distress is that this too shall pass, but I won't feel as bad as I feel right now tomorrow, possibly, you know, we, we all go through ups and downs in life. Of it as a natural way of life, like the seasons, like the tides, you know, things go in and out. We're going to have bad days. It's just part of life. So I think acceptance of that can also make it easier as compared to if you're thinking, I should always be happy, I should always be well. That's just unrealistic. So it's kind of just accepting the lows, knowing that they'll come, they'll shift and you'll, you'll feel better some days. And you will still laugh, even if you've got terrible illnesses or you've lost your job or you've lost your relationship. 
there, there will be better days. It may feel like it'll never happen, but you've got to hang in there and, and, and trust that the tides will change, the seasons will change. You've just got to hang in there and trust and not, never give up hope. So Mandy, you always give such great advice and it's also the case that you do this professionally, right? So you provide advice, counseling, therapy, and you also, I think, still have your free blog that I think people can also read that I have said many times that I think is outstanding as well. It'd be great if you could share how someone that's listening could be in contact with you as well as how they could read and before you get your book out there, you can actually read your blog for now. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Carl. So yes, I write a, a mental health blog with lots of advice there on health anxiety, on thinking styles, on errors in thinking as well, if you want to know more about those. There's loads of advice on there. Um, also, there's some information on there about my own struggles with colon cancer and cystic fibrosis and diabetes. So there's lots on there. And they can, you can also contact me through the contact page. The website is www.thoughtsonlifeandlove.com and you'll find loads of information on there. You can contact me through there. If you have any questions, you can send me a little email through that about something that's come up on this podcast that they'd like to know more about. So yes, I'm very open to helping people and if anybody needs extra information or advice, they're welcome to get in touch with me. Thanks so much for that. And Age and I want to thank you, Mandy, for sharing so much of yourself and providing again, as you do every time, amazing advice. We appreciate you. We also appreciate the listener listening today. And Paige, could you share how they could get in contact with us? Absolutely, Carl. We welcome you to visit www.lifehabitspodcast.com to sign up for our newsletter and we will send you the show notes and links from the previous week's episode, along with an exclusive sneak peek of our upcoming episode. Visit the contact page to get in touch with us through our contact form, or simply send us an email to page at lifehabitspodcast.com. You will also find links to our social media pages, and we welcome you to ask questions, share comments, and recommendations for topics and guest ideas for future episodes by contacting us directly through email or on our social media pages. If you love the podcast, please give us a rating in the app you're listening to us on. And if you would like to contribute, please check out the support the podcast page. And we also have a buy me a coffee button at the bottom of our site. Contributions from listeners like you allow us to continue to bring you a new episode every week of the series that helps you to learn new habits, to optimize your life, and embrace an enlightened, healthy, and prosperous lifestyle. Please note our website and show notes contain affiliate links, which means we may receive a small commission at no extra cost to you. And with that, I want to thank you again, Mandy. This is another awesome episode. We really, really appreciate you. And we'd also like to thank the people listening and we hope that you found it helpful. We appreciate you too and we'll talk to you all next time and bye for now.